Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. This morning, we were horseback at 7 o'clock, and it was one of those things that, that reminded me of my time on the Rocker B Ranch when um, we, we would ride out, and there'd be like eight of us cowboys, plus the wagon boss who would lead us out across the pasture, and the cow boss would go to the windmill where we would always gather the cattle to if there wasn't a set of pins in the pasture, and he'd turn on the siren to try to draw in those cows because it was bad brush. Real bad brush. And so we were in a pasture on the Rocker B Ranch called the North Mustang. Now, I know you just said, you heard what I said, North Mustang. I don't know why they didn't call it the North Mustang, but if you were on the Rocker B Ranch and you said Mustang, you got jumped out. For some reason, it was called the North Mustang. And um, so we're going along, and the first one to get dropped off was a, was a fellow named Ronnie. And Jesse said, Ronnie, drop off here. So he shut his horse down, and I mean, you can't hardly see the horse in front of you. It's real early, and we're riding along, and then all of a sudden, Jesse hollers out, Paul, and I mean, everybody else just keeps trotting, and whoever's name he calls, they just kind of pull up, and they stop, and they know what they're doing, but the next person to be dropped off was me, and Jesse was really, really nice, because even though I had driven through the pasture in the truck, I was brand new as a cowboy on the ranch. I'd been in that pasture a hundred times, but just on the roads into the windmill, I'd never gathered the pasture. And so Jesse kind of held up, and he said, Kevin, why don't you drop off here? And he told me, he said, uh, we got one job to do. We got one job to complete while we're here, Kevin. We got to get every cow out of here, because we're shipping. Don't let anything back behind you. Don't let anything back behind anybody else. Whatever you do, we got to get every cow out of here. You understand? Yes, sir, I understand. And then he laid it out. He said, okay, Kevin, this is what's going to go on. He said, if you notice, we're kind of up high, and you're going to get going along. And all of a sudden, you're going to kind of be out on this point of this draw, because the draw kind of runs through this pasture, uh, kind of at a diagonal angle. And you just stay between your dad, and then I'm going to drop Lance off next. And so you're going to stay between your dad and Lance, and you're going to work this, you know, kind of the edge of this big draw, and you're going to circle back around, and you're going to see the windmill where you're end up because you're going to kind of ride right past it on your sweep around. He said, do you have any questions? I said, no, sir. Kind of sounds pretty simple. So there they go. And then I heard him drop off Lance. And it's just, it's an amazing, amazing feeling to be sitting there in the dark. And all of a sudden the birds start, you know, tweeting their tunes and everything. And the sun starts coming up. And then from the far side, you hear, ooh. And then you hear the next cowboy, ooh. And then it gets louder as it gets closer. And then the guy next to you, woo! And then it's your turn, woo! And then you hear your dad, woo! And then the other guy, and everybody starts. So we're going along, and I'm trotting along like this, and boy, I'm a cowboy, and I'm having a good old time. And sure enough, just like Jesse said, came up to this kind of like this little promontory, and I, I'm up higher because everybody else had kind of already dropped off into this draw, and so I can see Ronnie. He's way out there, man. He's, he's at a long trot because he's got a long way to go. And then I can see Dad, and then I'm fixing to drop off and go here, but I see something over here to the right, and it's at the windmill. Jim Ed is there with his blue pickup, and I could nearly guarantee you he had every cow there. All these cows are there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching, and I've been riding for about 15 minutes, so it wasn't very long into this gathering. 
And I look, and some of them cattle start going back by the way we had already gathered. And I can see Lance. Lance is on the other side, way over there. He's in the brush. He can't see what's going on. Everybody's in the brush. The only people that know what's going on is me and Jim Ed. And so I've got a dilemma. Do I do what the wagon boss said and stay between my dad and Lance and help gather this pasture when I know that every cow is down there? So I, make an, I made an executive decision and I trotted my horse down there and it was just kind of an open spot in the brush where this, uh, where this windmill was and these cows were real flighty and so big old tiger stripe mamas. And so I got over there and every time they kind of started drifting off in a direction, I'd trot through the brush. And then I'd come out and they'd be like, hey, somebody's right there. So they'd kind of drift back in and then they'd start going somewhere else. So I'd duck back into the brush and I'd go around there and I'd kind of get back in front of them. And for nearly an hour and 45 minutes, I did this cat and mouse game with, with these cows, keeping them there. And Jim Ed was telling me, he said, you're doing a good job, Kevin. Just keep it up. Keep it up. And so he, he'd exhausted his cow cake supply and everything like that. And so I'm sitting back and then all of a sudden I see a cowboy appear and it's Lance. So he's got that part covered. And then, uh, and then Jesse shows up. And then Ronnie shows up. And guess who the last one to show up was? My daddy. And my daddy was not happy because he had to do his job and my job out there. Because he knew that I wasn't there. And I think looking back on it, I think he was scared because he never could find me. And so you know what happens whenever you get scared and then finally you see your kid, you're like, oh my gosh, where's my kid, where's my kid? And then whenever you see him, you beat him, right? Because that's what you do. <laughs> you scared the crap out of me, you know? And so dad rides up and, and um, I, I've sure forgiven him and, and I don't blame him at all. But man, when he rode up, he rode up whooping and spurring, and I ain't never been chewed out like he chewed me out. He rode up to me, and he put his finger in my face. He said, what did I tell you? I told you that you stay between your flankers. I had, me and Ronnie had to, I mean, he just rah, rah. And this is in front of all the cowboys, and my dad has never done that. And boy, my heart was beating fast. I was scared to death, right? But I, all I said was, yes, sir. That's all I said. We had to drive them about three miles to another, into another pasture into the set of shipping pens. And so anyway, Jesse says, come on, let's get them going. So we all fan out and we get going. And it just so happened where I was at, you know, I kind of swung around to, to ride the drag. And, and I heard Jim Ed say, hey, Paul, why don't you come with me? We'll, we'll trailer these. Uh, we'll take the uh, trucks and trailers and we'll shuttle them back and forth so that we don't have to ride all this way over here. They can handle it. And dad's fuming and dad's like, fine. And so he goes with the cow boss. And so I ride pushing these deals and nobody's even talking to me. They're like, ooh, did you see he got his butt chewed hard? <laughs> you know, and, and I felt about this tall. And so anyway, we got over there. And, uh, but when Jim Ed pulled dad away, Jim Ed Basham was an amazing, amazing cow boss. He was one of these guys that, that uh, they, they make movies about men like him. And if you are ever fortunate enough to know a cowboy that spent his entire life on one ranch that he did not own. I mean, and I don't know if Jim had spent his entire life, but I know that he was out there in like the 30s on this ranch. He, he was back whenever they used to, to put out salt in a mule-drawn wagon, that kind of thing. 
And um, one of the things that I always loved best about Jim Ed was going to the branding in his part of the country because he had his own part also. And man, his wife, Dot, could cook. And I mean, they just, they, they may, if you know Spanish, maybe you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a difference in a party and a pachanga, okay? In Texas, there's, a, there's this thing called a pachanga, and it's like a party times 1,000. And, 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 and that's what Jim Ed did at his brandings, man. He... It went all out. I mean, lemon meringue pies and chocolate pies. And I mean, boy, you didn't even want to go back to work after you got done uh, eating lunch at Jim Ed's house. But that's the way he always was. If you ever drove by his house and he was at the pens, he'd wave you over and you'd go over there and he'd just sit there. just And he had this smile on his face all the time. Just like, how you doing? Life, you know, he just kind of sick. Seemed to say, life is good, isn't it? Just, just with his eyes and just with his, with his demeanor, he loved the cowboy way of life. He'd never done anything else that, that I knew of. He was wise and always willing to tell you what he knew, if you asked. He was never one to just, you know, ride up and just tell you everything he knew and everything. You'd kind of have to drag it out of him because I kind of think Jim Ed was, was like, you know what? If you're willing to learn, I'm willing to teach, but I'm not going to waste something on you. And I've seen a lot of cowboys, and, and I'm sorry to say that I, I might have been one of them too, that, that might have wasted uh, some of his talent, some of his wisdom. Jim Ed was... A devoted and disciplined cowboy, as I was riding with him one day, he told me, I said, man, we covered some miles today, didn't we, Jim Ed? And he goes, yeah, we, we sure did. Or he said, y'all did, because he was in his truck. He said, I kind of like riding this old blue pickup after all the miles I've spent on this ranch. And I said, I bet that's right. And he goes, son, you have no idea. I mean, this ranch was... Uh, 180,000 acres or 140,000 acres, something like that. I don't remember. It was a little big ranch. I mean, it took us one hour driving in truck and trailer to get from our line camp to headquarters, which was in the middle of the ranch, one hour. And so he said, you know, used to, we didn't, we didn't have pickups. He said, when you were branding on the far side of the ranch, he said, you saddled two horses. You loped one. You left at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning or sometimes earlier than that. And he said, you loped to the Brandon pins and then you changed horses, worked on that horse all day long. And then when you got done, you got back on your other horse and you loped home. I mean, we're talking about devoted, dedicated cowboys. He believed strongly in doing the job the way he was taught. He did things the old-fashioned way. We, you know, I mean, and, and that's not a criticism of, it, of any other way of doing things, but, you know, we did things the cowboy way. We, we roped and we dragged and we flanked and, you know, we, we built a fire, you know, with the, with the branding irons and, and, and it was the old way. It's, I'm not saying that there's not some, some other more efficient ways or anything, but he just, that's the way he was taught and he instilled it in us and he never made us do anything, but he just kind of always said, you know what, let's just do it this way. But the main thing, Jim Ed was an encourager. He was an encourager. He always had a kind word. He always had a pat on the back. He was always willing to just kind of lift you up. And you know what? It takes somebody special. Because in today's day and age, man, there's just people that are just complainers and, you know, to, you know, naysayers and you know nothing's ever good enough and, and it is actually somebody special to run into a cowboy of his caliber that, that it will encourage and that will teach you and that is just wise and devoted and all of the qualities that Jim Ed Basham was we got to the pens we worked all the cut off all the calves that 
we were going to ship out. And I was still pretty butthurt. I was, you know. I was mad. I, I, I was still a little nervous because, like I said, man, my, my dad didn't do that very many times in my life. You know, chew me out that bad. And this cord's fixing to choke me to death. We got there. We got done. And I was sitting on the edge of the flatbed ranch truck eating a bologna sandwich when Dad and Jim Ed pulled up with the last truck and trailer. My heart started beating fast. And Dad comes walking over there. And I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even hardly make eye contact with him. And I'll never forget, he jumped on the edge of that flatbed with me. And he sat there for a long time. I think I quit eating. And Dad said this, Why didn't you tell me that you kept every single cow single-handedly from running off? And I looked over at him, and then I looked down, and I said, Because you didn't ask. And then he said, You did good today, son. You showed me what cowboying is really about. I've always carried that in my heart. You know, it may sound like I'm criticizing my dad. He's probably watching. I'm not criticizing him. He tried to raise up a cowboy, and he was trying to teach me, and I didn't do what he said. But at the same time, I did my job, and at the end of the day, he was proud of me. He was proud of me. What kind of character does it take to be a good cowboy? That's what we're going to talk about today, is a cowboy's character. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says to Titus, that's why it's called Titus, it's a letter to a fellow named Titus. That was good. It took a while. I know. It's, it's tough. It's tough. You know, we're going to name the next horse Titus, okay? Just so we can all remember it. Well, I know. It, it was a pop quiz, and I know how Ty hates pop quizzes. Paul says, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. See, God has dropped each of you off where you need to be. Just like we rode out that morning and Jesse said, you know, Ronnie, Paul, Kevin, Lance, Billy, as he, Chris, as he dropped us all off. See, God has dropped you off where you're at today. You might not even realize it. But you know what? You are right where God can use you. More importantly, God probably has you here where you're at now for a purpose. And you've got a job to do. He wants you to complete the job that he's asked you to do. He's coming up to you and he says, man, we got one purpose here. We're going to gather everything in here. And we're not going to stop until we have everything gathered. See, in Matthew 28, right before Jesus goes back up into heaven, he tells his cowboys, he said, go out into the world and make disciples of all men and all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey what I told y'all to do. And I ain't never going to leave you. I'm always going to be there with you. See, that's, what, that's the job that he's given us to do. Where you're at, where God has dropped you off, you've got a job to do. A lot of people say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to live a life where God can be seen through your life and that those that are wandering around in the darkness will see that light and they'll come and they'll say, How do you, what do you have that I don't have? We're gathering every single moment, every single day. Paul says, told Titus, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. He gave him a job to do. God has instructed us on what to expect. Just like Jesse told me, man, you're going to go up here and you're going to be on this little promontory hill and you're going to see the, the, uh, the draw running this way. See, God, God has told us the same thing. In Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster. 
to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's God's plan. He said, man, I, I, this is what I want you to do. I've already laid it out. I know how it finishes. All you have to do is do what I tell you to do. Go off here. Right up here. I'm going to bring the cattle to you. You don't have to run around like a chicken with his head cut off trying to find cows. You're just going to ride along and they're going to be right there. The people that I want you to, to I want my light to shine through you to these people, they're going to be right there. I'm putting you in the greatest place you need to be to succeed. In verse 6, Paul says, An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. See, Paul is telling Titus, hey man, you're, you're going to go out here and, and you're going to kind of be the cow boss, but you're going to be looking for cowboys to help you. And these are the qualities that you are going to look for in these cowboys that are going to help you. See, it says a blameless life. These cowboys must lead, lead a blameless life. A blameless life does not mean a perfect life. It means you do your best with what you are given. It means that you keep your eye on the big picture of what we're trying to accomplish. A blameless life means that you may have to make some tough decisions whenever you get there. But that's okay. You can't control others' actions, but you can control your reaction. And, and somebody that leads a blameless life is self-controlled, and they control how they respond to other people. And that's really, really difficult sometimes. I hear you. He doesn't say live a perfect life. He says live a blameless life. Always do your best. No explanations, no excuses. Do what I told you to do. A blameless life doesn't need experience. It needs character. Think about that. All of those things that Paul listed right there. A cowboy must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers and don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. It says a church leader, but we should all strive to lead because a cowboy leads his cows, leads his, his string of horses, leads his family. All of us are a leader in some sort of capacity and we shouldn't just stay right there. We should strive for more. But he says... A leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. How many skills do you see in that list? None. What is that list all about? It's about character. Because, see, God, God can teach you the skills you need. As you go along, when you need to learn how to rope calves in a branding pen, He's going to give you the people to teach you how to do that. But He works with character. A lot of people just, you know, well, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to pray with somebody. He doesn't care about that. He'll teach you the skills when the time is right. But he needs you to have a good character to start off with. See, God doesn't call those equipped for the job. He equips those he calls for the job. You know, our wagon boss, Jesse Whitlow, when he was there, he did not, he did not, he was not raised as a cowboy. He liked the cowboy way of life. You know what he did? He read meters for the electric company on the Rocker B Ranch. And every time he read meters, he stopped by the ranch manager's office and asked for a job every single time. Walked in there. Hello, Mr. Culp. How are you doing today? Good, Jesse. How are you doing? Good, sir. Just getting all the readings on all the wells and stuff. That's good. Mr. Culp, I'd love to come work for you if you'd have me. Well, you know, do you know how to do this? No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. But you know what? 
He kept on and on and on. He showed his character that he was willing to do whatever it took. And you know what? He was a dang good cowboy when I went out there. He was the wagon boss. He had rope good. I mean, he was the only person I ever met that could pull a submersible pump in a white shirt and not get anything on him. I have not mastered that at all. What's your character like? See, God wants to work with your character. Don't worry about your skills. Don't worry about what you know how to do and don't know how to do. Worry about what's in here. So all of it up to this point that Paul is talking to Titus about, it's all been about character and integrity. Now we move on to application. Now he starts saying, man, once you get your character right, this is what I want you to do. And you know what? Most of you here, you, you, you're, you're going good on the character part, okay? We've all got holes to fill, even the preacher. We've all got holes to fill. But that doesn't mean that we wait for some magical spot before we start doing what God tells us to do. We need to go ahead and start doing some of these applications because it'll work together whenever we get our character right and when you start working on some of these skills that he's going to talk about. In verse 8, he says, He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must enjoy having guests in his home. You know, I, I don't want nobody here to think that I'm criticizing or I'm pointing fingers or nothing like that. But you want to know what the one thing that I do miss about Texas is the hospitality. The people are just as friendly here in Colorado as, 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 in, as in Texas. As friendly as I've ever seen. But, but where I come from, man, the hospitality was amazing. I, somebody knocks on your door, man, you open it up and invite them in. And I know that that can get you erect in today's day and age. But people were just hospitable. And the Bible tells us that we need to be that. When I started studying for this Cowboy Academy, this, this nearly verse-by-verse verse study through Titus, I said, man, i, I got to get better about this. And we have. We've had people out. At, I mean, a couple of times a week, just saying, hey, man, we love you. Sit down with us. Let's grill some hamburgers. And, and I want every single one of you to experience that at my place. You'll be getting an invite. And if, and if, I, if I miss you, invite me. I'll come over. You better, no tomatoes. Okay, no tomatoes. Says he must enjoy having guests in his home. You don't have to be having a Brandon to show hospitality. If you can't make time for others, you know what you're doing? You're cheating yourself out of a blessing. Be hospitable. And not just to your friends. Invite somebody else over. Maybe you've seen somebody here at church. Maybe you've seen somebody at work. Maybe you've got somebody that comes into your workplace a lot and you just... You know, you kind of feel that nudging from the Holy Spirit, kind of that gut feeling. You know what, man? I'm going to invite him over for supper. And then your wife is going to be like, you did what? <laughs> Do it anyway. You cook. Let her have the night off. No tomatoes. When's the last time you had somebody over to your house? Because in Hebrews 13 too, think about this. It says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. <whistles> show hospitality to even to strangers. For some have entertained angels without even realizing it. And in Matthew 25, 37 through 40, Jesus himself says this. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. It says, when you invite people over, you're inviting Jesus over. Why are we robbing ourselves of that blessing? Because we're so consumed with our own lives that we're tired. You know, I mean, I've felt the same way. You just want to come home and unwind and it's been hot. You've been horseback all day. 
It doesn't matter, man. Just invite somebody over. Quit going out to eat. Invite them over to your house. Who cares if it's dirty? We live in our houses, right? I don't even clean anymore. I'm like, this is where we live. Stay outside. No, not really. (laughs) If you don't like it, you can. Which we usually do anyway. And then Paul says, he says, he must enjoy having guests in his home. And then he says, and he must love what is good. These are the skills that Paul is saying. If you want to be a cowboy, if you want to be a cowboy of character, be hospitable, love what is good. You don't have to be a cowboy on one ranch your entire life to know what is good. Find joy in the Lord. Find joy in the Lord. And, and, and I know maybe some of you are brand new here, but I know some of you, you know, it's cool whenever you can't wait for Sunday to roll around, huh? I, I mean, I remember I used to be that cowboy that my wife played the piano at the Baptist church, and she'd say, get up. I'd be like, <coughs> I don't feel good. <laughs> I don't want to go. She, get up. If you die, we'll have your funeral. We're already there. But you know, I mean, isn't it cool whenever you like to come to church? When you can see some people that you hang out with, that you work with, or that, that you meet new people, man, that's awesome. Love what is good. Find joy in the Lord. Love what you do. Love what you do. I, I read an article the other day that this lady had gone blind and she had to go into a nursing home and, and the, the nurse wheeled her in there and said, you know, ma'am, this is, your, you know, the, your dresser's over here. She goes, oh, I love that dresser. And lady kind of looked at her, and she goes, and your bed's over here? She goes, oh, that is the most comfortable bed in the world. And she said, and, and your, your window is right here? She goes, oh, I love the curtains. And she finally looked at her and said, ma'am, I don't mean to be ugly, but you're saying you love all this, and you can't even see it. And she goes, honey, I, loved, I made up my mind to love it before I ever walked in here. What would our lives be like if we loved what is good? What if we did that? Made up our minds right now to love what we do. He must love what is good is what Paul says. Find joy in the Lord. Love what you do. Love people. How about this? Love serving. Me and my wife were on a radio program the other day in Colorado Springs talking about the adoption. And after it was over when this song was playing, I looked at the the owner of the radio station and the DJ, and I said, how can we serve you? He moved his mic and he goes, do what? And I said, what can we do for you? And he had the most shocked look on his face. And he goes, well, Kevin, he goes, honestly, I, I don't know how to answer that. He said, in this business, everybody wants something from you. I've never been asked what I need from somebody else. He said, would you mind praying for me in this station? I said, absolutely, we'll do that. We need to love to serve. Love people. How about this? Love living. Love your life. You don't have to have the... There is no such thing as a perfect life. More money is not going to make you happier. It's not. Some of the saddest people I know have got a lot of money. So don't, don't think that. Make up your mind to love what is good. Love your life where you're at right now. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. What that means is you start loving everything about your life. You start loving the people, even the ones that are hard to love. And just at the right time, God's going to pour out a blessing on you. We don't love so that God will bless us. Because we loved, God blesses us. Paul then says, he says, you must be hospitable, love what is good, and then he says, and live wisely and just. The mark of a good cowboy isn't what he can do, but in what he's willing to pass on. He must live wise and just. A wise man saves all of his two cents worth until he has a treasure of wisdom in which his only goal is to give it away. Think about that. A wise man. How, how many times are we just real quick to, every, to give everybody our two cents worth about everything? 
Somebody says something, boy, we just, boy, we dig in our pocket. We can't get it out fast enough to tell them what we think about something. But a wise man saves up those two cents worth into a treasure so that when somebody comes along that wants to learn that we can give it away and pass it along. And that's what Jim Ed did with me. That's what God wants to do with you. That's who God wants you to be. A wise and just man. In Micah 6, 8, God says this. He has shown, well, Micah is actually saying this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. How hard is that? I mean, honestly. People say, well, I don't understand the Bible. Well, it says to act justly, to love mercy. What is love mercy? Give somebody the benefit of the doubt. You know, 99% of what everybody says has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with them. Quit taking everything so personal. Some of you probably saw the deal I put on Facebook that says, uh, you know, how sad must it be to be so weak that just somebody's words ruin your life. And I know that things can hurt. Give somebody the benefit of the doubt instead of just blowing up. Love, mercy, and walk humbly with your God. He must live a devout and disciplined life. That's what Paul says. God will probably never have you saddle up and lope for three hours and then gather and brand all day just to get back on the first horse and lope three hours home. You will probably never do that. I, I don't think I've ever even done that. But we must live a devout and disciplined life. But we can show that kind of devotion to God. I want you to be devoted to Him. Not a wishy-washy, sometimes he Christian. You know what I mean? I mean, if you only pray when you're in trouble, guess what? You're in trouble. If you only follow God when things are bad, guess what? Things are bad. Be devoted and disciplined. Discipline yourselves. That means be self-controlled and practice the things you learn without complaining. The next thing Paul says is he said, he must have a, and he's talking about a cowboy's character. We talked about character. Now we're talking about skills. Be hospitable. Live wisely and just. Be devout and disciplined. Uh, and then he says, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching. You didn't learn anything if you don't do what you were taught. Many people say, well, I, I know that. Did you do it? Well, no. How many times has your kids like, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, if you know, why didn't you do it? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Are you going to do it now? I don't know. Well, you need to. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you know? You didn't learn anything if you don't do what you were taught in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Man, listen to what Jesus says. He says, learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble at heart. He's saying, you need to be gentle and humble at heart. And you know what he says? If you learn how to be gentle and humble at heart, you know what he said you'll get? You will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. When, be when belief becomes action... The result is someone who loves to encourage somebody. When you start applying these things, when you learn to be hospitable, when you learn to love what is good, when you live wisely and justly, and when you live a devout, when you're devoted, you don't just talk about it, you do it, and you're disciplined in your faith. And when you have a strong belief, the love child of all of that is you start encouraging people. People want to be around you. You start lifting people up. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the author says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's pretty cowboy right there, isn't it? Let us see how we may spur one another. Come here, Tyler. Let me show them what that means. I got my spurs on. <laughs> let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, 
as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see how we're going in circles here? How God just kind of keeps saying the same thing, and he's talking to you. He's not just talking to me. He's not just talking to Ty. He's talking to all of us. He wants you to do these things. He wants you to learn. He wants you to become something that you never thought you could become, you, what you can't become on your own. You'll never find it anywhere else, only here. You can find shadows and, and perversions of it, but you'll never find the real deal. And then the last thing Paul says, he says, he must love, rather he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching. And then he says this. And then be able to show those who oppose it where they are wrong. And then show those who oppose it where they are wrong. When people oppose us, it is the way that we live our lives. It is the way that we gather and ride. It is the job we do when no one else is there to see it that God will use to defend us. All of that is a blameless life. When you do this, you will show people. Even when people will talk bad about you and they say something about you at the post office or the grocery store or something, somebody will look over and say, man, you must be full of it, man. That dude over there, that lady over there, man, she's never been nothing but nice and this and this and this and this and this. And, and we don't tell people. We don't try to talk people into it when they disagree with us. We don't have to defend ourselves. God living through us is the only defense we need. It doesn't say tell those who oppose it that they are wrong. It says show those who oppose it where they are wrong by the way we live our lives. Walk tall, talk small, and carry a big God. Jim Ed Basham passed away this week, and I was sad. But his legacy lives on through me, and now his legacy lives through you. What kind of life are you going to lead? What's going to be happen when you go to be with the Lord? What kind of legacy will you leave? You never know the impact. Jim Ed never knew the impact of this little skinny cowboy from Big Lake, Texas, that couldn't rope, could hardly ride, didn't know much of anything, of the impact that he would make on somebody's life. And now, I have the honor and the privilege of passing it along to you, of a life lived well. What will you do with what you were taught today? What will you do? What will be your cowboy character from here on out? Will you just let it go in one ear and out the other? Or will you take it inside of you and learn and grow and become somebody that is worthy to ride in the kingdom of God? Let's go to God in prayer. God, be with us and help us to be cowboys of outstanding character, lovers of what is good and right. Help us to be cowboys that listen and grow instead of just someone who hears and then goes on with their lives as if the truth was never spoken. God, I thank you for leading all these people here today to hear your word. And may your peace, your guidance, and your grace fill their lives to overflowing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Hey, thanks for joining us for another clinic. Before you ride off, we have a special gift for you. Save the Cowboy has a brand new app available for iPhones and Android smartphones and tablets. You never have to miss another message, and we've thrown even more stuff in. There's a Bible, our full unedited clinics, Cowboy devotionals, videos. You can even order our books or call and talk to me. That's a ton of stuff that will keep you riding right beside the Lord for years to come. Please download it by searching your app store for Save the Cowboy, and don't forget to lend us a hand if God has blessed you and you like what we're doing. Just text Save the Cowboy to 77977. That's Save the Cowboy to 77977. For Save the Cowboy, I'm Kevin Weatherby. Stay out of the wire.